Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, um, season two, episode two, we are jumping into Acts chapter two. It's kind of cool when it all lines up like that. But it will soon not line up. That's like right. That. <laughs> as soon as we get into chapter three, we're gonna mess up the episode. Yeah, we're, chapter. We're probably gonna merge it with chapter four, but yep. that's okay. We'd had to do the same thing in the Gospel of Mark, but yep. the Book of Acts and uh, specifically Acts chapter two is a very very important chapter mm. of the Bible. Sometimes called the hub of the Bible because oh, so many things come yes. together. That's right. And so you'll you'll hear us. Um, very enthusiastically present this podcast because this is an exciting chapter. Um, a lot is going on, and so we're going to try and put it in a clear way. And um, it's just really important, too, as we approach this chapter to try and put ourselves in the shoes of a Jew mm-hmm. and think about what they're feeling, what they're thinking, and what they're going through as they hear the different things that the apostles have to say to them about Jesus and about the kingdom of God. Yeah, and Acts chapter 1 has really just been a build-up to this chapter. Um, Jesus has been... During those 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension, he's been talking about the coming kingdom of God, and he's told them to wait in Jerusalem. He's ascended to the Father and says, again, wait in Jerusalem. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And so it's like, okay, like this is promise, promise, promise. Jesus has left, and now it's going to come to a feast day. And we'll see how that ties in with everything as we go. Well, let's read um, Acts chapter 2, verses one through 13 will begin, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. Thank you for taking the section that has some of the difficult names in it. Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) Didn't think about that before I got to it. I was like, oh, here we go. (laughs) Thank you. I felt felt good. I felt like I got them. You did. You got them all right, as far as we know, in our English language. That's right. I probably messed some of them up, but I feel good about it. So So it's it's the day of Pentecost, and they all come together in one place. The they here, I think it's pretty clear. We're talking about the 12 apostles. Remember, Matthias was added, so now we're, we're back up to 12. And something really cool happens. Uh, but before we get into that, the day of Pentecost is a pretty important day, isn't it, Stephen? Yes, it is. Um, it is one of the important feast days in the Jewish calendar. And Pentecost happened 50 days after Passover. 
So, of course, remember, there were very significant events that happened during Passover week of this year. Uh, that is when Jesus was crucified um, on, on the Passover, uh, Friday of that week. Oh, what we would call Friday, again, Jewish and Roman time gets a little confusing sometimes. But anyway, it's called Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks is what it was called in the Old Testament. Um, because you would count seven weeks and one day after Passover. So there'd be 50 days, no. 49 plus one. And that's why the, the Greek word for it is Pentecost, 50. And so this is a feast uh, commemorating the harvest. And um, it's pretty cool to think about this, uh, this feast. And that is why all of the Jews from all over the world have come to Jerusalem on this day. And so I think the Lord very intentionally, you know, this is when the Holy Spirit comes, is because this is when the message is going to get out to all kinds of Jews who are going to take this message back with them to all the places they've come from. Um, It's a way to speed up the spread of the message. Once it hits Jerusalem, it's just going to go all over the world. Yeah, Jesus certainly had a timing of things. He was making sure to do it all in this direct and perfect timing so that the word can get out in the most maximized way that it can. And so that's why you see him emphasizing, hey, you need to be here after I ascend, and you need to be here. And he's getting all of his pieces in place so that the Holy Spirit can come in and do its thing. And so that's exactly what happens. Um, As they're sitting there in this room, Luke describes it for us as this noise that's like a violent rushing wind fills the whole house where they're sitting. And not only is there this noise, but then there are tongues as a fire that distribute among them. Um, Another translation says that there were like flames of fire that were divided, appeared to them, and rested on each one of them. So I don't have a perfect image of like what that would look like. I remember going up in Bible classes, you'd have like this little fire that was like over top the guy's heads and stuff. So I don't know exactly what that looks like. But there are some key words that are happening in this chapter that are supposed to be reminding us of what's going on in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. which is really cool. If you go back to like in Exodus 40, whenever the tabernacle is built and God goes to move into the tabernacle, you see some of these same images. You'll see God's glory coming in as a, like a cloud, and you'll also see fire in the tabernacle as well at the same time. You'll also see it in 1 Kings 8 and 2 Chronicles and, uh, and also in Leviticus. You'll see God's presence moving into his temple where there is wind or a cloud, his glory, and then there's fire. And so if you're a Jew reading this and hearing this and experiencing this like the apostles are, it's reminding you of the temple scenes from the Old Testament. It's very, very cool. Yes, and we remember that in the Old Testament, when you come to the end of the historical books and they rebuild the temple that had been destroyed, that temple is the one that Jesus would have come to, and there was no glory that filled that temple. It's conspicuously absent Mm -hmm. when you get to Ezra chapter Mm 6. And uh, it's just really fascinating that glory doesn't move into that temple, but now in Acts chapter 2... We have the 12, and we have the people hearing, and and this is where it really is a temple scene, where God is moving into his temple, but it's not the physical temple at this point. It is his people. And that's going to be a whole theme in the New Testament about God's people being 
the new temple. Uh, and, and really that's what the old temple was foreshadowing, is God dwelling in his people. It's going to be a key theme here. So we'll talk about that more as we go. Um, but the miracle, so there's, a, there's an audible miracle and there's a visual miracle. The, the visual miracle is the, 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 the fire that's kind of like the glory cloud, the, the mm-hmm. pillar of fire, like resting on the 12. And then the audible miracle is the rushing wind, but also, or the sound of the rushing wind, and the new languages. Um, it's notable here that these are not like crazy languages or whatever, but they're speaking in the actual languages of all of these Jews from all over the place. Yeah, in fact, like the Greek word for tongue here is actually where we end up getting our English word for glossary, glosses. And so it's like a real language. It's not some type of babble or anything like that. These are real languages that they would have been speaking miraculously, having never studied them before. Right. And that's really important to see. That's a consistent thing throughout Scripture. Whenever you hear that someone is speaking in a tongue, it's not some random gibberish. It's an actual language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so... I'm picturing kind of, you know, you got 12 guys and they're each speaking in different languages and everyone is hearing like, whoa, like that's what's so amazing to them. It's like, these guys are Galileans. Uh, They note that in verse seven. Um, Where did they learn this? (laughs) Um, It's kind of, we'll see that again in Acts chapter four, a little Mm -hmm. bit later. Like these guys are uneducated common men. Like where did they get this stuff? Mm -hmm. And um, they said the same thing about Jesus, really. He's from Nazareth. Like where did he get these great sayings, these powerful teachings? And so they're amazed that these fishermen, some of them, you know, are up there speaking in Egyptian or whatever other languages uh, that they were speaking in. And they're amazed and they're talking about the mighty works of God. And some people are impressed. Others are less impressed. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, eh, they're drunk. Um, that's how they're able to speak this. And I'm assuming they were saying that because they don't understand all the languages. And so to them, it would have sounded like gibberish. And so they're like, yeah, yeah, they're just, they're, they've been doing some early drinking and they're already full of sweet wine and, or new wine. Um, so that leads us into Peter's response in this next section. Yeah, it's also interesting to note, somebody pointed this out to me. We often call verses 14 through 36, what we're about to read, Peter's first sermon. But if you really back up into verse 11, you, you learn that they're speaking of the mighty deeds of God. They're already kind of going on about about God, uh, but we learn more specifically what that was about and what Peter has to say to them in the next section. So we'll go ahead and read that now. We'll read verses 14 through 21 for now, and um, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. These men are not drunk, as you suppose, For it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
So Peter stands up. Remember, he's out here with the other 11 giving this message. They're all speaking in a different language. And so Peter's giving this message, but I would assume the other guys are as well. And he raises his voice, addresses them as the men of Judea. These are Jews that he's talking to. Give heed to my words, but point number one in his sermon, we are not drunk. We are not drunk. <laughs> we <laughs> are sober. That is not what's happening here. Uh, in fact, it's, it's only the third hour of the day, so that wouldn't make sense anyways. So be um, 9 a.m. Yeah, 9 a.m. So we're not drunk, but please listen to what I have to say. And Peter really starts off with not anything he has to say. Mm-hmm. He starts with something the Lord had to say all the way back in Joel 2, which I, don't, I can't remember exactly when Joel would have prophesied. Um, actually, I don't even know if we were for sure about that. Yeah, there's some with. debate over how early or late. But, but he, it was before this time. Divided kingdom time, <laughs> generally speaking. Yeah. And so it was hundreds of years before this. And Joel chapter 2 talks about what was going to happen in the last days. And so this is Peter is talking about a passage these Jews would have known, been mm-hmm. familiar with, and says, this is that. This thing you've been reading about is happening right now. It's a little bit like when Jesus stood up in Luke chapter 4 and read mm. from Isaiah 61 and said, today this scripture has been fulfilled yeah. in your hearing. Great tie-in. S- similar thing here. Yeah. He, he reads Joel 2, or quotes it, and um, talks about God pouring out his spirit. That is the key image here. It's kind of a water image. It's the Spirit's being poured out on everybody. It's like mm-hmm. the Spirit has been given in you know different portions, different times in the Old Testament. Um, that's a little bit like what Moses wished for at one point when Eldad and Medad were prophesying in the camp and Joshua was kind of jealous and was like, hey, they're prophesying. And Moses was like, I wish all God's people had the Spirit and that's what's going to happen. <laughs> it's like the Spirit's just being poured out. And um, you'll notice all the different demographics that it talks about. Uh, your sons and your daughters... Uh, your young men, your old men, uh, your servants, uh, no matter your gender, your age, your social class, everyone is going to have access to God's spirit. It's poured out on all flesh. And then there's some what we call apocalyptic uh, language that's used here. It sounds like the end of the world, but it's not actually the end of the world. This is helpful to realize in the Old Testament and in like the book of Revelation that not everything that sounds like the end of the world is the end of the world. It could be just generally speaking of judgment. Mm-hmm. Or right. changes even. And we talked about this in Mark chapter 13 when we were talking about Jesus' prophecy about the destruction of Jerusalem and how some of the language there sounds like the end of the world, but it's actually just talking about a huge change that's happening in the world. That like the most fundamental things are moved or shaken. And it talks about like the sun and the moon. Like these are the things that we, everything else runs on the schedule of the sun and the moon. And so it's like if these things are changed or shaken, it's a an earth-changing event is the idea. Yes, and Jesus and his message is surely an earth-changing event, especially his death, burial, and resurrection. 2,000 years later, here we are talking about it. I mean, this was an incredibly important moment in human history. And added on top of it, like in verse 21, it says that it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Peter's going to explain that in more detail here. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to make it clear that, that these people... They can be saved despite what they've done. All right. How do I call on the name of the Lord? Right. That's going to be what he explains at the end of the sermon. Exactly. So that was kind of part one of his sermon. Um, Joel 2 has been fulfilled. And then he's going to move into the second part of his sermon, um, which is really kind of the, the meat of it, and try to tell these Jews exactly what's happened. Um, so let's continue reading in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, 
a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Peter's pretty quick to get to the point of his message. Mm -hmm. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, was delivered over by a predetermined plan, and you nailed him to a cross, right. and you killed him and put him to death. That verse 22 and 23 really sums it up here, what he's trying right. to say. Look, guys, this was the guy. This was the Messiah, the Christ, the one that the Old Testament scriptures talked about. And yet you killed him. Mm -hmm. And he'll go into more detail on that. Yeah. And again, they, I don't think there was a Jew in the area who hadn't heard of Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah. I mean, they'd not everybody seen the miracles, the wonders, the signs. They, they had seen it and heard about it. Yeah. He starts with what they already know. You guys know that the signs that he did. But we're here to tell you that God has done something that is the ultimate proof. You killed him, and God raised him from the dead. Yeah. And then he goes to their scriptures. He goes to Psalm 16, written by David. And he points out some things about the psalm that even though David was the author, it couldn't really be ultimately about David when you read the, the words of the psalm. And he quotes from Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. But in particular... Verse 27 of Acts 2, he says, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades. The idea of Hades here is not the idea of hell, the, the place of punishment, but just the idea of the realm of the dead. Um, Sheol is the word for this in the, the Old Testament. The so, netherworld is another way I've heard it there described. You go. <laughs> so, down, and again, the idea of down there, the netherworld, is where both the righteous and the wicked go. Right. It's just the idea of where all of the dead go, down to the grave. And so... David was writing and saying, you will not abandon my soul to the grave, the, the, the netherworld, um, 
or let your Holy One see corruption. You're not going to let this one be, his body's not going to stay in the grave. Yeah, the New American Standard says you're not going to allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Yeah. So his body's, it's not going to decay. It's not going to stay there. Uh, It's not going to be there long enough to undergo decay. Right. And the point Peter will make is, hey guys, um, David can't be talking about himself. Mm Mm-hmm. There's his tomb. Yeah, he's you buried. Go, you can go see it. Yeah, he's buried over there, and his body is still there. So, of course, the question that he's invoking is, well, well who is David actually talking about then? Yep. He's a prophet, and he knew that God had made the promises to him. Those are such important promises, Second Samuel 7. Mm-hmm. Um, Amen. And go read those. But David knew, okay, one of my descendants is going to be on the throne forever. And so, in this psalm, as a prophet, he is for uh, foretelling. He, he's prophesying about Jesus and saying that God would not allow him to stay in the grave. He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption or undergo decay. And being in the gospel of Mark, we didn't really get to talk about it because Mark's gospel doesn't go through the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Um, But in the triumphal entry, they will be saying things like, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. And Mm there will be a, a time where Bartimaeus directs uh, directs um sorry addresses jesus as jesus son of son david, of david right. um but if you'd like to you can go to matthew 1 or luke 4 and you can read through the genealogy uh sorry luke 3 and you can read through the genealogy of jesus and see how he is a direct descendant of king david it's very mm-hmm. very interesting and incredibly significant for the jews they had been anticipating the son of david for all this time and now peter's letting them know he came and you killed him mm-hmm and so he points out, okay, so this was a prophecy. Psalm 16 was a prophecy about the resurrection of Jesus. And proof of that is that they are witnesses. And again, we talked about witnesses in our last episode. Uh, verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. This is so key in the book of Acts that the eyewitness testimony is what seals the deal. God raised him from the dead. And if Jesus wasn't the Messiah, why would God raise him? Mm-hmm is the implication. God's not going to raise an imposter. If Jesus was just claiming to be somebody great and then he died, God would have left him in the grave. But God raised him up and that vindicates Jesus. He's, you can know he's the son of God. He's declared to be the son of God by the Holy Spirit raising him from the dead. And so he is now exalted to the right hand of God. This key the idea of like the right hand is what it's, he's going to quote Psalm 110 and say, yeah, the passage you know about the Messiah that's who David was talking about. Mm-hmm. David wasn't talking about himself. The Lord, he was talking about his Lord, that the Lord said, sit at my mm-hmm. right hand. So Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God. He's received the promise of the Holy Spirit. He poured this out. Jesus promised he was going to give the Holy Spirit. So the stuff you see, the stuff you hear, the mighty rushing wind, the tongues of fire, the new languages, this is coming from Jesus from God's right hand right now. And this should confirm him in your minds and in, in your conviction that he is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And um, so he'll end up his sermon here in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. And let me say, we, we need both of those things. We need a Lord and we need a Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Very convicting sermon. Um, I love framing it this way. What if we had went out and we were sinners and we had killed somebody and it's later reported to us that hey that that person you killed and robbed yeah that was actually the king's son 
And not only was that the king's son, he rose from the dead and he's looking for you. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh no, like I, what am I going to do? There's nothing I can do to make that right. Mm-hmm. There is just only going to be fear in the people's hearts who are convinced that Jesus really is the Messiah at this point. Yes. And, and so this, um, it's hard for us to appreciate um, just how much despair you would feel after this sermon. Like the, the one we've waited for for all this time we killed him and now God raised him and he's reigning and ruling and we are in deep trouble. So that brings us to the response. Yeah, let's read 37 through the end of the chapter. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need day by day continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart praising god and having favor with all the people and the lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved this is beautiful Amen. this is good news <laughs> the gospel is what's happening here they hear Peter's words, and they are cut to the heart. Um, they're convicted by what they've heard. And their question is, brothers, what are we going to do? Is there any way out of this mess? And Peter has good news for them. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there is a cost, but there is a promise here. He gives two conditions and two promises in verse 38. He says, you need to repent and you need to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. So you repent, be baptized, are the two conditions. And then the good news, for the forgiveness of your sins. Even killing Jesus, you can be forgiven for that. And the other promise is this, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is a really important verse um, that kicks off kind of the response that they are to have. Um, He mentions in verse 39, this promise is for them, for their children, all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And this is really his explanation of what he quoted back in verse 21. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, here you go. Here's how you call on the name of the Lord. You need to repent. And of course, this was the message of John the Baptist, of Jesus. It's the fundamental thing that's asked of us is to change our hearts and our minds turn our lives around so he says repent 
and be immersed, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We talked about this a couple episodes ago. Uh, the significance of baptism is hard to overstate in the New Testament. This is the point at which we're saved. It's the point at which we come into contact with the blood of Jesus. Yeah, baptism will come up a whole lot more in the book of Acts. But if you've got more questions about that, feel free to reach out to us. We'll give our info in just a little bit. But also, if you're just now jumping in, jumping into our podcast, we did a podcast, like Stephen said, on baptism specifically. So you can go back and listen to that in season one. Yeah, it was the last episode. I yeah, it was the very last episode. Yep. So he says, repent, be baptized. And, and baptism, again, is so clearly here tied to the forgiveness of sins. And again, just incredible that God would forgive somebody for crucifying his son, which they were guilty of, which really... In a broader sense, we're all guilty mm -hmm. of Amen. because of our sin. Yep. And after that, you think about how hard. I mean, if somebody did something to my kids, like, it'd be incredibly hard for me to forgive them. And yet God is willing to forgive those who turn to Jesus. That's grace. It is. That's mercy. That's incredible. And it's not anything we've earned or deserved, mm -hmm. but it is grace. And I'm just so thankful that God gave us a way to, to get to him. And ultimately, it's by the blood of Jesus that washes away our sins. Yes. And so there's, a, there's something taken out and there's something put in. There's the forgiveness of your sins that's taken out. And then there's something put in, the Holy Spirit. God gives the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is the promise. Again, he quoted Joel 2. The Spirit's being poured out on all flesh. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit... He can come and dwell in us. This is also going to, we'll see this later on in the book of Acts. Um, and really a lot. Paul will talk a lot about the Holy Spirit in his letters to the Christians and how they should understand the Spirit dwelling in us. That can be a pretty mysterious thing sometimes. But it can. it's something that the New Testament really clearly teaches on. That God comes and dwells in us. Again, God is moving into his temple in this chapter. He moved into the apostles at the beginning. But now he's saying... The Holy Spirit can dwell in all of you. Um, and it's going to manifest. He's going to manifest himself in different ways. Um, it's not always in miraculous gifts, but it's going to be in love, joy, peace, patience. There's all sorts of ways that we can see the Spirit's work in us. But this is key. Repent. Be immersed. You'll be forgiven. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. That's right. And... We've already highlighted it some, but this is not just something for like these people that are there. This is something that we're told in verse 39 is for them and for their children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. This is something that is going to go on until the Lord Jesus comes back. This is something that God is going to expect of, of people that want to want to be saved and be forgiven. Um, and so as, as we consider the fact that Jesus went to the cross for me, we're left asking the same question. What shall I do? What, what can I do to be forgiven? And the answer is the same. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, it's something we all need to do. Amen. And it's kind of interesting. In verse 40, we find out this is just a, a summary of what Peter taught on that day. There are right. a bunch of other words. Uh, he continued to bear witness, exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And 3,000 respond on that day 3,000 which is huge yes. but it's also a small fraction of the Jews who were there in Jerusalem it wasn't everybody mm -hmm. it's also just kind of interesting I've always found this fascinating that if you'll remember in the Old Testament there was this uh, when the, in, in the Sinai sequence which is like several books of the Torah um, 
there is this one scene where 3,000 people die because of the sin in the camp. And it's kind of interesting that when the law of Moses came, the first covenant came, there's 3,000 who die. When the new covenant comes here in Acts 2, there's 3,000 who are saved. So I just think that's kind of a cool shadow thing from the Old Testament. Also just interesting that we began the chapter talking about the day of Pentecost. And this is about the harvest. And what's really interesting is Jesus was raised from the dead. And it very likely would have fallen on what they called the, the Feast of First Fruits where like the first sheave of the harvest was waved. Mm-hmm. He was raised from the dead, likely on the same day as the first fruits. And now on the day of Pentecost, the harvest coming in, there's 3,000 who are raised from the dead spiritually. Yes. And so there's just really, there's a lot of cool things going on from the Old Testament here. And the new covenant coming in, this is the new harvest of God's people, his new temple. Um, again, so much we could talk about here. And these people, they're changed. Um, not only are they forgiven people, but they start acting like forgiven people. And they also realize now we have something in common. Uh, I love in verse 42, it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Those four things are essential for the disciples of Jesus Christ. And if we're people who have repented and been baptized, we need to find other people that have done that too. That's right. <laughs> and we need to continue in the apostles' teaching. Y'all, keep reading in your New Testaments. You'll find what else the apostles had to say and what God's, uh, God's writers had to say. There needs to be fellowship. Um, this is, I think, a word that the religious community has adopted in a way that Scripture doesn't bear, uh, bear out. I, I think Scripture points to fellowship as being more of a spiritual word than what I think we often use it for. Yeah, it simply means sharing, but the way it's used in the New Testament, it's really fascinating. If you just kind of do a word search on this word fellowship, um, it, it comes up in context where it's not just hanging out or whatever. Bowling it, or it, anything it, like right. that. Right, and it's, again, totally cool for us to do all those things, but it, it is a, we don't really have an English word that captures the same sense of sharing in spiritual things specifically. Right. Um, and, and so, yeah. And it defines it. I mean, there at the end of verse 42, the type of things that they were fellowshipping right. in was the breaking of bread. I, I believe that to be a reference to the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. Um, and then prayer. They were praying with one another. Yeah. And that was what Jesus told them to do. Remember, do this in remembrance of me. That's right. And I think that's, if they're devoting themselves to it. We're going to see breaking of bread in a more common sense in just a second. But here, I think it fits the context best to say that this is that memorial meal Mm -hmm. that Jesus set up the night that he was betrayed. Um, So that's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, apostles' teaching, so like the devoted to Bible reading, what we would call, uh, to sharing in spiritual things together with other believers, spending time together. They are uh, taking the Lord's Supper regularly, and they are praying together. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there you go. I mean, if you want things to devote yourself to... Um, it's a beautiful thing. And, and again, the apostles are doing signs and wonders. Again, it's just kind of notable here that it's not every, not every single baptized believer receives miraculous gifts out, out of the gate. Mm-hmm. The apostles are the ones doing the signs and wonders. But they get together and they have everything in common. Uh, they're selling their stuff. Anybody who has extra is selling. They're pooling their resources, redistributing them. In part, I think this is because it looks like some of the people who had traveled the, from the ends of the earth to come here might have stayed in Jerusalem, it looks like. And so they're, they're needing a place to stay. They're needing support and food. And <laughs> so they're needing to pool their resources. And verse 46, this was not just a, 
just a Sunday only thing that they're doing. By the way, we do know that the Feast of Pentecost always fell on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. So we do know that this was a right. Sunday, that this happens on the first day of the week. But it's every day. Verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. There's the other more common sense of breaking bread. Right. They're getting together with glad and generous hearts, taking their food together, praising God, having favor with the people. And I love the last phrase here. Mm -hmm. The Lord is adding to their number. Um, That's an important note to, to see. Yeah. Adding to the body of disciples, adding to the church is something that the Lord ultimately does. If we want to be his people, we respond to the Lord in the ways that he's shown us. We've already said that. Mm-hmm. And then the Lord adds us to the body of Christ. And it really answers a question I think we come away with at the end of verse 41 when it says that there were added about 3,000 souls. So it's like, what What were they added to? It's, is it like a club? Like, what is it? Yeah. It's like, no, they're added to God, to, lo- to the Lord, to and they're added to the church. And we mean that not in like the church building down the road, we mean that in the sense of God's people. They're added to being the Lord's people, which is an awesome thing, but it is the Lord who does that. That's right. And so this is a movement that started on the day of Pentecost in the first century and is a movement that we can be part of. Um, there, There is a lot of religious division. There's a lot of things going on in the world. But one of the things that we really believe is possible is for people to be simply Christians, simply disciples of the Lord, coming back to Acts chapter 2 and say, I want to be part of the movement that Jesus started right here. And it is going to require us to really examine all of us, to examine our beliefs, to at times set aside religious tradition, Mm -hmm. things that the Bible doesn't talk about, and to say, I just want to be a Christian. I don't want to be you know, this kind of Christian or that kind of Christian or this name or that name, I want to belong to the Lord and have fellowship with his people, yeah. whoever they are and wherever they are. And, and that is, um, it, it can be a challenging thing yes. in our world right now. Yeah, we, we got to ask, is my church, the group of people I'm attending with, do they do what Peter said to do? Do they repent? Are they people who are saying we need to be baptized? Are they continuing in what the apostles had to say? Are we taking communion? Are we praying? Those are all things we need to ask about the group that we're with. Um, And so if not, we need to find a church that does. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have a lot more details on what the church is supposed to do and some specific doctrinal things as we read Acts. Um, And especially as we read the letters to the Mm -hmm. Christians in the New Testament. Uh, We'll get into some specific things. But in general here, we see the spirit of... The movement, no pun intended there, (laughs) the Holy Spirit, but also the the attitude of the movement of these people who have come together and are just giving themselves to the Lord and giving themselves to each other. And I, I love this chapter. It's beautiful. And next week, what we can expect, and really through the rest of the book of Acts, as happy as this episode was and this chapter is, there are some dark days ahead for the Lord's church in the book of Acts. Um, in the very next chapter, we're going to read about something good that's done, that the apostles do, that Peter and John do, but they're met with opposition. And that will be a common theme through Acts, is being met, the Lord's church and his apostles being met with opposition, and we learn how they persevere and uh, go through those trials. Um, it's a very encouraging thing to read about, so we'll get into some of that next week in Acts chapter 3. Yeah. If you're enjoying what you hear on the podcast today, please uh, do subscribe to uh, our podcast, rate, review, 
um, that will help us reach more people. If you'd like to reach out to us, uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you have questions or comments, 717-585-0949, capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information on what we're doing, uh, capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.